0: Welcome to Mom School, where I empower busy, stressed, and loving moms like you with mindfulness to create a more joyful, balanced, and fulfilling mom life journey. My name is Lacey Newton, and as a mom of two and creator of Mama Sympatico, I understand the challenges of mom life all too well. And through my own journey and transformation, I've discovered the power of mindfulness in helping me move from surviving to thriving. Now I'm excited to share these ancient wisdom and research supported tools and practices with you. I want to help you intentionally create a mom life that feels good and is aligned with who you are and who you are becoming. So join me on this journey to raise the tide of happiness for yourself and all of us mamas. Now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to this very special episode of mom School. Today, I will be talking with Ashley McManus and Jacqueline Grayson from Growing Mindful. With Growing Mindful, Ashley and Jacqueline teach mindfulness to kids and adults to help build resilience for life's challenges. You'll hear more about their mission, a bit about how they brought mindfulness into their homes and their experiences leaning on mindfulness for tricky moments in mom life. Okay, here is the show. So, welcome to mom school. Thank you so much for joining us. To start, what are those basic get to know you at a barbecue kind of facts that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm Ashley McManus,
1: and both Jacqueline and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. I have three little girls. They are. All under the age of eight, and currently I'm teaching in Palo Alto. But next year I'm going to be solely focusing on growing mindful. Yeah, I'm just love to be outside and read and hike, travel, and just
0: spend time with my family and friends. Wonderful, thank you. It sounds like great barbecue conversation. (laughs) How about you, Jacqueline? And my name is Jacqueline Grayson. I've
2: lived here in the Bay Area for about eight years. I grew up on the East Coast. And I have completely fallen in love with living here. I have two kids, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. So they take up a lot of my time and energy. And I love teaching with Ashley at Growing Mindful. And um, like Ashley, I just love, I, I also love being outdoors and hiking and listening to podcasts and reading and learning
0: about mindfulness and all of that. So that's a little about me. Awesome. Mindfulness is, is kind of a hobby sometimes for me too. I um, think it's kind of fun <laughs> to try out mm-hmm. new things in my mind and, and keep going with that. So I can relate to that being a hobby. How did you to come to find mindfulness for yourselves? So I was
2: in my 20s and I was working in New York city and I was working various jobs in public relations and marketing, and I was completely burning myself out. At the time, I kind of went into these jobs in my career with the sense that like, I just want to make the most money I can so I can support my future family. I was doing that, yet it was not as fulfilling as I would have liked. And I was not feeling well. And so I came to a point where I'm like, that little voice in my head was like, this is not for you. And I finally started listening. So I quit my job and I went back to school to study the science of well being. I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I started studying nutrition and positive psychology and mindfulness and meditation. And I really got a sense for just how to take better care of myself, because every decision that I made, every new job that I took on at that time with the bigger title and more responsibility, I was just getting further and further away from myself. Mm -hmm. So when I finally decided to, to listen to that little voice inside of me, I became so filled with happiness and joy that I was making far less money, but far happier. And then I started really seeing the effects of practicing mindfulness. And so I was hooked at that point. I wanted to shout it from the rooftops to anyone who would listen because I'm like, oh my gosh, do you even understand the power that each of us holds if we just kind of pause and just take a moment to ourselves And I was moving at such a pace that I never really did that before. Mm -hmm. So when I started
0: practicing, that
2: just completely hooked me.
0: Wow. So that's a, that's a huge shift. So you kind of had this go-getter kind of job that burnt you out. And then you heard a voice, an inner voice calling to you to try something more aligned with who you were and that you weren't happy And then you did make a big leap of faith and you totally changed your path. What does it take to actually listen to that inner voice? What did it take for you? Oh, a breakdown. (laughs) It it
2: really took a breakdown, a total identity crisis, because I think Oprah says like, when you don't listen to the whispers, the whispers get louder. Mm -hmm. And if you don't listen to the louder, you know, yelling, then like a brick comes and hits you in the head. And then if you don't listen to that, then the whole brick wall comes down. (laughs) And for me, the brick wall needed to come down in order for me to wake up. And it did. And I just, I, I was so confused and I'm like, I thought this is what I, you know, I thought that getting this big job was the answer and it's not. So like I needed, I needed to do a lot of work to get to know myself and what I really wanted rather than listening to what I thought I should be doing. I finally was tuning into what I really truly wanted out of this life rather Mm. than what I thought society deemed important.
0: So powerful. Thank you for sharing. It's a vulnerable place. I feel like mindfulness can come from pretty vulnerable moments in our lives. And thank you for sharing how that transitioned for you. Yeah. And then I actually came
1: to mindfulness first through like a teaching strategy. I was teaching in Palo Alto and my students were pretty stressed out. Even in second grade, I had one kid who was writing in his writer's notebook to become a good students so that he could then go to Stanford College and and get a good job that paid him a lot of money. And and so there I don't know wow. if it was Stanford being right there or what, but there's the energy was was pretty high pressure. And a lot of my students were stressed out. So Mm -hmm. I used mindfulness as a way to like build that classroom culture and to come in from recess and just reset and as a classroom management strategy as well in, in a way. And I was practicing alongside with them and learning more and more about it. I started doing like parent workshops then but I wasn't fully practicing it myself. And I think my parents actually were reading a few books, like the power of now. And then they did some meditation challenges, like with Oprah
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> There's
1: Oprah again and <laughs> Chopra.
0: And those are good challenges. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and then I did those and I was like, wow, you know, having anxiety since some- Early childhood, that I just noticed a difference in myself when I would meditate. And the more I learned about it, the more I was able to incorporate some of those practices in my daily life and see those changes slowly being made. And I think with therapy and other educational classes that I've taken, it all just kind of came back to mindfulness for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now it's just a huge part of my life every day.
0: Wow. So you both came to mindfulness in a little bit different routes, but are seeing huge impacts. And it sounds like it feels really congruent for you and that it's almost like a value system that you live by now. Absolutely. I'd love to ask you a few more broader questions about mom life and how has mom life been impacted by your mindfulness, bringing mindfulness to your experience and doing the daily grind and all the things that come up with fulfilling the responsibilities of being a mom. Sure. So when I first became a mom, I had a
2: mindfulness practice that I was doing then. And then I became a mom and (laughs) I stopped sleeping and (laughs) that kind of went out the window and I found myself becoming like very tense and nervous about being a mom. It's kind of like the ebbs and flows of life. Like when the pendulum swings the other way, then you kind of have to ground yourself and remind yourself that, Oh wait, I have tools that I can use here to help me find a balance again. Mm -hmm. So That's what I did. I just kept reminding myself of, okay, like, let's tune back into this practice. Let's wake up. And even if you're waking up early before your baby wakes up, even if it's for three minutes and just taking those moments to just sit and either meditate or listen to calming music, something that can help me ground myself before I can enter that role of being a mom. I did whenever I could. And since then, since my children have become older, I have shared my practice with them. And they now are very involved and they take some of our after school classes as well. So they have a language around it. But I've involved them as much as I can because what I, what Ashley and I really wish that we had when we grew up was language around these things and education about our emotions and how we're feeling and all the things that we teach in mindfulness. The reason we do it is because this is what we wish that we had when we grew up. So I am trying to root my children in these practices because I know that life, you know, is messy and If we can impart these valuable lessons to our children at a young age, then they too can remind themselves that they have the tools when challenges arise and they can kind of root themselves in the same practices that hopefully that we've taught them.
0: Yeah. What a difference it would have made for me. I agree to have had this language or a few of these tools in my toolbox as a kid, or even to have been just exposed to it so that when it crossed my path again, it felt familiar and like going home. Oh, this is something I could try. How wonderful it must be to be growing up, knowing how to describe your inner world. It's so wonderful that you were sharing that with them. Yeah. And I think for me, all of those things, but also like just
1: the awareness that I have, Try to bring into my motherhood and experience. It's just, you know, awareness of how I'm feeling awareness of, am I doing things because this is what everyone else is doing awareness of when I need to slow things down for our family. And just kind of that pause that is harder to do when there's lots of activities and schedules, especially as my kids are getting older, just that pause to just tune in with what I need, what my children need and what's best for all of us.
0: Mm -hmm. Not just going from one thing to the next, but you're, you're trying to figure out what else needs to be here in this moment. Yeah. The schedule (laughs) noticing, you know, like, Hey,
1: they're doing something and I'm super triggered by it. Right. It's just, even that just awareness of, okay, it's not them. They're not the ones that are actually doing something. This is bringing up different feelings in me for whatever reason. And so just tuning into that and trying to give myself what I need in that moment.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And you're bringing up being triggered was one of my next questions for you. I feel like one of the most challenging parts of mom life is feeling triggered myself for like whatever reason. Sometimes it's my past waking up or my kids struggling and reminding me of what my hopes and dreams for their siblings getting along is, or just life throwing unimaginable curveballs. How do you cope with these big emotions that come up for you while you're still having to get kids ready for dance or soccer or manage sibling conflict?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I'm not going to say that I do it perfectly all the time. I (laughs) definitely lose my goal. I did so yesterday, Uh but, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is just trying to not push away my feelings and to give myself permission to feel what I'm feeling and, and then note it, right. Naming it to tame it. And then just trying to give myself some self-compassion of like, okay, what do I need in this moment? Mm -hmm. And remind myself that it's okay. You're doing the best that you can. This is temporary. So I think for a long time, I just would feel guilt or shame for feeling angry or feeling an uncomfortable emotion. And now I'm, it's it's a process still, but I'm trying to let myself feel what I feel and use that as information. For next time. But taking those deep breaths <laughs> really do help me taking a nice, deep belly breath when I'm in the moment to just kind of stop and reset. So then I can be that calm that they need. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that really helps me. And just trying to be more conscious, like I said, of that awareness of just noticing when these emotions are, are rising up and when I'm starting to feel triggered so that. I can, you know, let my family know like, Hey, I need a moment. I'm going to go take a break or my husband and say, Hey, okay, you got to take over with this. I'm just going to go upstairs and I'll be right back. That has really helped me Mm -hmm. because there are those moments where I can feel that I'm about to lose my cool. And I know then afterwards, that's not how I want to respond. So anything that I can do to kind of just note it before is really helpful for myself.
0: Okay. So you're trying to see what's happening for you before you bring a reaction to it that you later don't feel good about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then
1: just like letting myself feel what I feel. Mm-hmm.
2: And also just normalizing that. And because again, yesterday I also had a big reaction to a trigger that my children we were having a discussion and I was triggered about something. So the way that I reacted to my child was not exactly the way that I want to be as a parent, I raised my voice. And then afterwards I had a conversation with my son and I was like, you know, I'm really sorry that I reacted that way. I said, you know, I was feeling triggered and I at that moment I could have paused but I didn't. So I with with my children I really try and normalize that these things do happen and as human beings like we we all have triggers and sometimes those triggers tend to pop or explode and we can do better to understand what our triggers are so we can try and kind of reduce the level of intensity once we are triggered, but just normalizing, because then my son shared with me, he says, you know, sometimes I get triggered too. And it's as if I'm a different person. And it's like, in that moment, we shared this thing with each other where we both were like, yeah, sometimes we behave in ways that we're not proud of. Mm -hmm. And so what can we do now? So now we can reset and we can learn from this experience to hope that we can do better for next time. And that's what we teach in our classes a lot is really just normalizing these experiences that like when we do have these triggers and and we do explode, like these things happen to everybody. So like Ashley said, really bringing in that self-compassion piece that we're not alone. And when these things happen you know, we do our best to repair and then really take the lessons from it. Like, how can we
0: do better and be better for next time? And how wonderful it is to see your mom in her imperfection, but Mm. who comes back and acknowledges it with you as a child and says what she wishes she would have done. And I just feel like it's just such a powerful lesson for a child to see their mom or their dad do this to model like what being a human really is because we can't teach mindfulness to kids in hopes that they aren't going to experience these difficulties and save them from the challenges of life and it's just so powerful that our kids get to see an imperfect mom and a mom who can come back and repair the modeling is as a former teacher myself modeling is just so powerful and to have that with your close caregiver is got to be powerful. Thank you for sharing those seemingly imperfect experiences as a mom. You know, I think it's kind of one of these things that was harder for me to realize how uncomfortable I was going to be in mom life. I thought it was going to be a little bit easier or the challenges weren't going to feel so challenging, but it it's pretty common. And I think that us even normalizing it for each other is really powerful too. So thank you for sharing that. Is your inner world naturally more critical or compassionate?
1: For me, I would say more critical towards myself, compassionate Mm -hmm. more so towards other people. (laughs) That's a great point. (laughs) But yeah, for me, it's an active daily effort for me to be compassionate towards myself. I think, there's a lot of inner child wounds that I'm still in the process of healing. And I just hold myself to a much higher standard than I do everyone else around me. Jacqueline and I talk about it a lot. Like when we teach students and our own children, just how, you know, your mind just, just kind of holds on to the stickier things and looks for the negative. Something that I think Jacqueline and I do for each other is we'll, have some sort of class that we teach or presentation, and I'm instantly looking at all the things that I did wrong and which one <laughs> that I wish I wouldn't have said or done. And she's like, Ashley, you know, you did great with this. She's reminds me that like to have that more compassionate voice towards myself. So thank you. <laughs> and, and that's something that, again, we bring up to our students is just like, how would you treat a friend? would you talk to a friend or a loved one this way and oftentimes it's no right so it's a constant reminder for myself to remember that yeah that's a great point because i was thinking i'm like well
2: i'm more compassionate but ashley's right it's like we are the most critical of ourselves and we also are grappling with the same things that we teach that Focusing on our strengths, focusing on things that we're good at and intentionally focusing on them because our brains are so wired to focus on what's wrong, what we can't do, what didn't go right. And so having the practice of either writing down things that went well or things that you love or things that you love about yourself, about your life, it takes effort in order to retrain your brain, which is a practice. And it's certainly a practice that Ashley and I, thankfully, I have her as a coach sometimes because she's like, wait a minute. and she can kind of point out when I'm being critical and highlight. And then I'm like, oh yes, of course. like I I know how our brains are wired, but somehow we kind of can fall into those same old traps. So having Ashley as like the sounding board is really helpful in our practice.
0: That's wonderful. It's so nice to hear that you two can show up for each other in that way. What a great team. And what would the mindful mom version of you say to the old, less mindful version of you before you knew about all of this, if you could go back in time and say something?
1: I mean, that version has popped up. It's like Jacqueline said, it's just Ebbs and flows, like these little moments of where you come back to these practices. I look at the pandemic, and I had already been practicing mindfulness for a long time before then. But that was probably my rock bottom for in a lot of ways, as we were moving and t- I was teaching online, and my daughter was on online kindergarten, and we just had a lot going on. And I just had my third baby too. And I think I had some postpartum anxiety and depression, maybe, and just not getting time for myself at all. Mm -hmm. Right? I think all of us moms and (laughs) parents can identify with that feeling during that time, but I would look back at, I already do look at back at that moment in my life and just kind of want to hug that mom of my version of myself and just tell her that. She's doing the best that she can and she has a lot on her plate and just to give herself some grace.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's very well said. That's very well said. I almost teared up. Like, no, hey, just, I did tear up. <laughs>
2: because I, yeah.
1: I, tear up. Yeah. I was like, looking back, I was really struggling and I knew I was struggling, but I didn't know how much I was struggling until like I was out of it and looking back and being like, wow.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the frog in a, in a boil kind of situation. Mhm mhm
2: yeah i i can definitely identify with that i feel like like ashley said we have these ebbs and flows of being really mindful and grounded in the moment and then moments of being kind of on autopilot and just understanding that that is just a part of it we kind of wish that we can learn these things and have it just be something we check off on a box and say okay we're done with that we can move on but these things are practices, and that's why really practicing a lot of self-compassion and understanding starts with yourself and then it just can extend out. So I can look back on maybe things that happened in my childhood that maybe I look back with some questions and instead of with a critical eye, I can say, you know, my parents did the best that they could at the time and really having a lens of that. And like, that's the beauty of practicing self-compassion because it tends to bleed into other areas of your life. So Mm -hmm. when you can look at yourself as being imperfect and love all of those imperfect parts of you. You can then look outwards and look at other people and forgive them of their imperfections as well.
0: Yeah, self-compassion is just like this smoother just smooths over so much of the ups and downs for me, at least too. sounds like you would look back and wrap her in self-compassion that the previous version of yourself before mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Less judgment, less judgment. So transitioning a little bit, you are partners in Growing Mindful. Could you tell us more about Growing Mindful? What's the origin of it? How did you two team up?
1: Yeah. So actually it was during the pandemic and during COVID where I was was teaching online, I was teaching math and I just felt like there was a bigger purpose. And I had been feeling that for a long time. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do instead of teach? But I like teaching, but I wasn't loving what I was teaching at the time. And so I was doing some soul searching and I had been meditating and I was working with a coach. And during that time, like I was after meditation, actually, I just had this vision of me teaching what I love to teach, which was mindfulness and you know, all of these social emotional strategies and positive psychology concepts. And I had like an actual vision of me doing this with a, a small group and it was like in a place and and it was very specific. <laughs> and so I shared that with a few friends and my coach and I was like, okay, how can I actually do this? So I started just at a local park outside because it was during the pandemic again. And I started teaching these fourth and fifth grade girls, some concepts that I wish I had at that age. And I, we talked about mindfulness. We did journaling and I met with them for weeks after weeks and the parents loved it. And the girls loved it. And most of all, I, I loved it. And it was, even though I was in that tough part of motherhood for me and that tough part of my life, it was something that was like making me feel alive and whole again. And so I was motivated by that and I I wanted to do more of it. I started thinking about doing it at my children's school once we opened back up. And that was the time I ran into Jacqueline. We were actually next door neighbors while her house was being worked on. And I was talking to her one day after school and I was saying, you know, I really want to do this at the school. She's PTA president there. And I was talking to her about, well, I need another adult. The principal said just for liability reasons and I was thinking maybe high schoolers or I don't know. And she's like, I'll be your other adult. (laughs) (laughs) And we just started talking about mindfulness and I learned her whole relationship with mindfulness and how much it had impacted her life. And instantly I could see that, you know, she would be an amazing partner and we would meet all the time in my front porch and we would just kind of daydream and start planning what we wanted to teach. And since then we've just been an unbelievable partnership. I think that we just really uplift each other and, draw upon each other's strengths in a lot of ways. And our favorite thing to do together is like collaborate and bounce ideas off of each other.
0: Awesome. So what do you do during a class or a lesson? Do you call it a class or a lesson? What do you do?
1: Yeah. Well, we have, we have different classes and that we do where it's like a six week program for children after school. We also do workshops on the weekends and those are like really customized. And sometimes we'll do like a series of workshops. What we do is we, we teach mindfulness strategies and positive psychology concepts. We really try to get to know the kids and see what their interests are and what type of learners they are. And then we develop a customized curriculum based on what they need and what they would find them engaging. And
2: some of the topics that we cover are like, we talk a lot about our emotions and normalizing the many emotions that we have. We talk a lot about emotional regulation strategies and we practice a bunch of different strategies. We talk a lot about our thoughts and really noticing our thoughts and how important it is to notice our thoughts because our thoughts impact how we feel and how we feel impacts how we behave. We talk about anxiety and anger and worries. We talk a lot about self-compassion and kindness and gratitude. And what we do with these after-school classes is, you know, a lot of times kids, their parents sign them up for these classes and they're like, oh great, we're going to sit and (laughs) meditate for an hour. But we incorporate a lot of fun games and activities that really help highlight the different concepts that we're trying to teach. So we've gotten some feedback from parents that before the first class, they're like, you know, great. Like how long do we have to stay? And then (laughs) after the second or after the first or second class, they're like, can we go more than once a week? Mm. Because some of the conversations that we try and create space for in the class, they're just not getting anywhere else. So we really try and create space for them to talk about the challenges and maybe some mistakes that they've made and how they feel about them. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to normalize all of these experiences so kids feel less alone.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: that's what we do. But we have these after school classes that we teach locally in San Carlos and the, the private workshops. And we're also doing workshops for little league teams, which we just entered into this year because we feel like sports is a really great vehicle to teach a lot of these concepts. And we're also doing some coach workshops as well as some staff and teacher trainings. So we can help teachers incorporate more mindfulness into their classrooms and help coaches really, because Mm -hmm. sports brings up a lot of really, really big emotions. And we actually just finished our first round of classes with this Little League team in San Carlos. And the coaches have been giving us a lot of really great feedback on how the classes have affected the kids and their playing and just their general way of coaching so
0: wow you sound really busy <laughs> then that going
1: back to teach in Palo Alto next year
0: <laughs> okay so this is a full-time thing for you now and your moms <laughs> and mm-hmm. you do it all it sounds like so do you think here's a kind of Off the cuff question for you: Do you think it's easier for kids or adults to learn mindfulness?
1: Hmm. I think that kids are like naturally mindful. It's just they just take a walk with them, and (laughs) it's much slower than what an adult would do, right? (laughs) But yeah, they just they see things, they notice things. They don't have a million to do lists circling around in their head or these past experiences that are bringing up thoughts and and negative emotions as much as, as we do. But I think that over time and that pretty quickly, our society teaches them to just kind of be on autopilot and and be fast paced and, and do, do, do. And so I think it's a matter of teaching them to kind of go back to that pause and awareness. At the same time, like a lot of the emotional regulation strategies, I do believe need to be taught. I don't think that kids are born knowing how to handle these intense emotions. So that part of like the mindfulness, I think that in a way, I wouldn't say all adults are better. (laughs) A lot of adults, you know, including myself, are still working on handling emotions and and dealing with them. I feel like Ashley hit the nail that, Children are naturally more
2: maybe present and aware of their surroundings than adults are because, you know, as we get older, we're all kind of connected and addicted to our phones and emails and texts and pings and these things that tend to distract us. There's just so much more of that as we age. But I think setting the foundation of like, okay, we have these tools that can help us ground ourselves in the present moment. I think that as adults, it becomes more important to practice these things. And for kids, I think setting the tone early and really planting these seeds early for them, allowing them to feel empowered by these things and giving them the confidence that they can calm themselves down. They can become aware when things become overwhelming to them and really helping with their practice early on will really set the tone for their mental health in in adulthood.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. So in mindfulness as adults, we talk about integrating skills that we learn through a more formal type of a practice into everyday life. Have you... Notice kids begin to do this when I was teaching. We often called this generalizing skills to other areas, other subjects, things like that. Are you seeing that show up with these kiddos? What does it look like when they do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with our own children, we see it the most because obviously we are with them more and we're in those moments with them more. My middle one in particular, she has some big emotions that, and can have some big outbursts. And for her teaching her these strategies when she's calm has been really helpful because then I noticed her self like, Oh, I'm feeling this way and go to, she has, we have a little basket where she has a mindfulness jar and the journal and different tools. But I see her more apt to go and do these, or even just like go, I need a little break mom. And I'm going to go take a, a moment in my room, just more in tune with how she's feeling. And I have a three-year-old who actually, she's even able to do these like different breathing exercises that are fun for her. And she'll do that when she's really upset and we'll say, okay, smell the flower, blow out your candle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's incredible to see it. And then as far as like with other kids, we hear a lot of stories and parents will email us and be like, oh my goodness what a difference this class has made in their behavior and how they're interacting with their siblings. One little girl in particular, she was having a tough moment and she's like, mom, I just need to go and draw up my emotions. And mm-hmm. mom was like, what? Like, where did you learn that? She's like growing mindful. Cause growing mindful had been over It was like in the summertime and it'd been months later. And it's really cool. Like that's a part of the teaching that Jacqueline and I just love is like hearing those stories or witnessing our, our children practice these strategies. It just doesn't get any better than that. Right. And it's really wonderful to see that even
2: I've used this example before that my daughter at the time was five and she was having a really hard moment and she grabbed the glitter jar that we have and she took it into her room And she comes out five minutes later and hands it to me and says, I'm feeling better now. Mm. And so it just solidified that these strategies work. And when we can help empower our kids to use them, then, I mean, it really, really just helps and allows them to feel more comfortable in their own skin, that they don't have to be afraid of these really big emotions when they come because- as they keep practicing them, like these strategies, they will just learn more and more how to handle them mm-hmm.
1: as they grow up. And I personally love that my kids know about these strategies. They've taken our classes a lot too. And we talk a lot about it with them as a family, but because then they hold me accountable, and they'll be like, hey, I think you need to take some deep belly breaths right now." Or, uh-huh. you know, and it's like, "Yeah, I've yeah. been
0: told I need to meditate before."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll remind me to even use mantras. Like, was that your inner critic, Mom? You know, Aww. so it's great to just have that accountability. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And it sounds like you're you are highlighting this answered to my next question already, but I'm going to ask it again in case something else comes up. But what does it feel like to see kids start to use these strategies in real life? What comes up for you as a mom, as a teacher, as a parent, as an adult in a community, raising a new, new generation?
2: It feels incredibly motivating and rewarding because you see that, oh, wow, these things really do help. And it makes us want to really scale our business so we can reach as many kids and parents and teachers as we possibly can.
0: What is your biggest wish for these classes? What might be the long-term impact be for kids or families? How do you see it? My
1: biggest wish is for
0: kids to truly
1: know themselves and trust themselves I think it's easy to even let the busy worlds around them to just tell them how they should be. And I think the more we can get children to like check in with themselves with how they're feeling or what they want and what they need, whether that's like through eating even or what activities they do. I think setting that foundation of just knowing themselves and tuning in with what they need and taking that pause is something that is will affect them for the rest of their lives and help them live a more authentic, joyous, true life for
0: themselves. How beautiful. Yeah. So many adults, I think, come to this point where we realize we're a little detached from our true selves. So how wonderful it would be to grow up staying connected. Yeah. So this episode is going live in June at a time when many parents have increased time with their kids as changes in schedules with school come about or vacations happen. Do you have any tips or thoughts on how parents might be able to bring mindfulness into their homes? Yeah, I think
1: that time it's a lot of fun for the kids, but the kids like us can get really overstimulated or dysregulated even from new routines and later bedtimes and travel. So teaching the mindfulness strategies when they are calm before these big emotions come up through transitions or overtiredness and all of that vacation often brings is helpful. So teaching them some breathing strategies and and doing the breathing strategy together with them Mm -hmm. because we need it too. (laughs)
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, but savoring the moments of joy. Summer vacation brings up a lot of fun activities. So some are stressful, but really taking a moment to savor when those good moments come up and saying that out loud with your children, like, wow, this is a really great moment and just relishing in that, those good feelings and anytime you can create a routine either around that or gratitude of like what's your rose for the day or your thorn for the day or what's one good thing that came up for this trip or for this camp or for the day is important because with with summer often it is the lack of a routine or a different routine that they're used to so something that is consistent throughout wherever you are like even doing this at dinner time whether that's at a restaurant or at home can be something to just keep them grounded and grateful for what they have and the time that we have together with them. And I'll also share that
2: making sure that parents are also fulfilling their own needs, because I know that our child's needs, like the lists are very long and a lot of times we are not even on that list. So Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're putting yourself on the list, making sure that you are taking care of yourself, that you're getting enough sleep, because I I mean, I know when I have a few days of lack of sleep or I just go to sleep too late, then my practices really are affected and my mood is affected and everything just permeates throughout my household. So just these foundational things that we can do to really just keep our cups full Cause that really helps set the tone for everything
0: else going on in our family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We've got to fill up those cups so they can spill over rather than just emptying them from whatever's in there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up too. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share about what you do or about how mindfulness benefits kids?
2: So one of the reasons why we do what we do is because we really want to help teachers, and parents. We essentially don't want mindfulness to be yet another thing that they have to add to their to-do list for things to help their children thrive and them thrive. So what we do at Growing Mindful is we help and we help provide information. We help through really fun learning activities for kids. We just help kind of create language so families can start having these conversations. After a class, we typically send an email to all the parents afterwards with a detailed account of what we cover in the class, just so they can take what they want out of the class to incorporate at home. We also have a little section for questions to ask over dinner, just to really help spark meaningful conversations with their children. We're here to essentially help with that process um, because we know parents are so busy. Teachers are so busy. Coaches are volunteering on top of being a parent and working. And so we are essentially here to really just help bring these things into conversations to really help address the needs of children and the needs of their caregivers Mm -hmm. um, because it's important to really make sure that both of those are covered.
0: It's so critical as a former public school teacher and a parent, yeah, you know, taking on the task of mindfulness without it being something that I had already been inclined to do would have felt just tremendous. It's like you hear this, wow, you got to do this for your kids. It's going to benefit them so much, but okay, now how, and when am I going to learn this? So how wonderful to have Growing Mindful facilitate that and teach the kids, but then send these emails and dinner questions to help integrate the discussion, the connection building around mindfulness at home. How wonderful.
1: I think you see with, with even our own practices, it takes consistency and it takes coming back to, and just an ongoing effort to commit to it. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so the more that we can bring in teachers and bring in, caregivers to help reinforce these concepts with children, the more difference that will be made, the more benefits that they'll be able to live out. And in turn, it's better for the teachers and the caregivers as well. Mm -hmm. So they they'll feel those, those benefits as well.
0: Upward spiral for everybody. So how can people find out more about you?
2: They can visit growingmindful.org to find out more about us, we do offer local classes here in San Carlos, but we also offer Zoom workshops for coaches and educators
1: that we can offer really anywhere. And so, par- we've been parents. And so. parents as well. Yeah. And then we also have an Instagram account. It's at growing, growing underscore mindful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> I will link to all of that in the show notes below this episode when it's released. And yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much. It's been a wonderful spending this time with both of you. You are contributing to children and the understanding of mindfulness and it's incredible. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us, Lacey. It was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you very much. That is all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ashley and Jacqueline. I've got their contact info linked below. If you follow them on Instagram, your feed will have some fun and useful examples of how mindfulness can be brought to kids. Remember, whatever is going on for you, you are in good company. Thank you for sharing your time and practice with me. May this information benefit you, your loved ones, and moms all over the world.